Hi, it's me, Kimberly, Black Girl in Sweden, and welcome to my podcast. A friend mentioned the term to me, wide fragility, a while back, and since then I've been thinking a lot about my relationships and my friendships and friends and acquaintances, both in the past and the present, and wishing, you know, I knew then what I know now and how I wish I would have used my voice more. Um, And that brings me to the topic that's been on my mind for a while. It's another kind of discrimination that's a bit quieter and harder to identify and to address. It's microaggressions. I know that a lot of people hear microaggressions and think, oh, it's just little things that hurt people's feelings. And it isn't about having your feelings hurt. It's about being repeatedly dismissed and alienated and insulted and even invalidated. It reinforces the differences in power and privilege and how this perpetuates racism and discrimination. It's really hard for me to believe that I've gone most of my life this far and I've only really began to hear this word about half a year ago. And it's like kind of wondering, like, where have I been? How could I not have, um, how could I now just now be discovering the term microaggressions? And um, yeah, have you heard of it yourself? Do you know exactly what are microaggressions? Well, let's say you did something hurtful. You said something irritating. I mean, for me, more people have told me, you're so articulate than I can count. Growing up, I also heard a lot of people say, you don't sound black. These words, <laughs> it may not seem like much, but I mean, they, they're stomach crunching worlds of emotion in me every time I hear them. Startling at disbelief and disappointment and going all the way over to exasperation and resentment. I mean, comments like these are almost always shared warmly with a sobering side order of surprise in the person's voice and occasionally even a sprinkle of patronizing good for you in there too. But, I mean, to some people, my ability to express myself coherently makes me an exception and dealing with comments like that are extremely exhausting. It takes a time. I mean, it takes toll over time. It's sometimes like a million paper cuts, each seemingly tiny but surprisingly painful every time. I don't even see you as black. I see you as like me, but brown. Hmm, how should I respond? (laughs) Should I tell you how I feel about those statements and that how often... Um, they're wrapped up in what pretends to be a compliment, how I'm personally lingering and uncomfortable after spray of that microaggression. What do I say? What do I do? Hmm. So begins the dance of whether I address the microaggression, that I sulk away, bruised, or maybe I just let it go. I just let that one go. I was a freshman in college, and I just let it go. There was no point. As as unhappy as I am with these choices and swallowing back my feelings to protect those of the compliment giver only means that it'll happen again, if not to me, then to someone else. And often an answer of no, I had enough, um 
I know that how these experiences will go, how these conversations will go with a friend if I do say something. I know how badly some people want to believe that race isn't an issue. But I have to say, um, if I told you that these were racially biased comments and I found them offensive, would you listen to me? How would you react? Would you think that I was overreacting or I seem irrational or too sensitive? Would you even see that these are, are microaggressions, which are everyday, subtle, intentional, and unintentional interactions or behaviors that communicate the biases you have towards marginalized groups of people? The difference between microaggressions and just all-out overt racism is that you might not even be aware of your behavior or that the behavior communicates your biases. I mean, I have so many examples, like using angry to describe a black woman being passionate about something or saying that she's scary or you're scared because she's visibly upset and she's never even demonstrated to you any signs of being a violent person. She's just expressing how she feels about a situation to you and because you don't like it, you want to say to her, oh, you're scaring me. What's that about? Or even holding people of color to a different standard. And often the standard is much higher. The expectations of the behavior that you impose on non-people of color. And then when you're called out on it, you're offended or you, you pull back. And just kind of like, what, huh? I don't understand what you mean. And even, um, yeah, I had the experience of someone even threatening to use their white privilege against me by saying, if I don't treat them nicer, they're going to socially ostracize me, which they did. But anyway, I digress. Anytime, I mean, you're the only one in the room. It's like you're being put in a box. It's damaging because people are unable to perceive you any other way, in any other way. I mean, a well-meaning friend, of course, isn't thinking this way. Often, he or she might think, might love these kinds of microaggressions and think they mean nothing. But their genuinely disarming demeanor and a true fondness for me as a person doesn't make it less offensive. It doesn't matter whether it's intentional or not. It's still maddening. I mean, microaggressions chip away at your self-worth. And it's even harder because the instances, the instances seem so small and subtle. And just sometimes so irrelevant that you feel as though bringing them up makes you petty. But it really doesn't. I mean, it's that this perceived neutrality or individual smallness that makes them all the more sinister. The language and behavior can seem non-Pacific and more, more opaque than outright violence because it isn't always the words, but the cultural and historical context concerning who the person is saying them that hurts. It's undeniable, I mean. <sighs> My life has been shaped by my ethnicity 
And it's something that I can't walk away from. It's an important part of my identity and something I've grown to appreciate. And for me, I believe that earning a person of color's trust, you must truly, truly listen to them. If they confide in you that their racialized experiences, about their racialized experiences, all you have to do is just listen. Don't make it about you. I'm pretty sure that if they tell you about something you may have done or said that hurt them, it's a gesture of trust and a signal of how much your relationship may mean to that person. You might want to acknowledge what a risk they took in coming to you and sharing this and try to understand their comments and point of view. I mean, really, they could have easily just said nothing and moved on and walked away from the friendship and you would have never known. Maybe we can try to educate ourselves more about common racial microaggressions. I mean, often these comments from a friend hurt even more than those from strangers. And with all this reflection, I find myself trying to reconcile my non-stereotypical existence with the, the realities of which I believe to be societal expectations. Far too long I've felt that I've had sometimes, that have sometimes existed in a vacuum. One that I'm surrounded by other people's narratives that I haven't had the privilege to ignore or even separate myself from. Instead, I'm left with a wealth of hard-earned trauma packed in pure clarity, believe me. Somehow fragile and mon monumental, it's sometimes earned and invaluable and sometimes delicate to the point that I sometimes find it hard admitting that my blackness can be painful too. I've skirted around it and hidden behind it and pretended not to see it, but my blackness often occupies the center of every experience I've lived. Although today society is much more blended and many of the refrains from the past, but many of the, the refrains from the past continue to be repeated. I mean, for example, like lately on my social media feeds, they're often filled with well-meaning, white liberal friends, who I love, some, and adore, some, who believe in their commitment to anti-racism. But some of them are still unwilling to step outside of their comfort zones and make genuine, genuine efforts towards inclusion. There's this collective of statements they sometimes put out that, I'm not racist, I don't see color, I'm not trying to be political, you know, all of these are just used to build a wall that blocks them from seeing exactly where their, prejudice, their prejudices lie and who they might hurt. I really find it hard to understand people claiming to love and accept all people, but at the same time, they're neglecting to forge relationships with diverse groups of individuals. All the social constructs aside, it's not enough to pretend racism is a factor. Cultural appropriation isn't an issue, or differences are irre irrelevant. I mean, holding your prejudice behind your ignorance really doesn't work anymore. In today's world, we're still raising our children who will bully each other and even sometimes chastise one another because of the innate differences they possess. 
I mean, sadly, we're still raising kids, some who will grow up to be teens, who will hate, who, who will commit hate crimes, some who, who will grow up to be adults, who will use their positions of power to oppress the marginalized. And I know now, I mean, I can see you picturing, you know, shaking your head, I can picture you shaking your head and all in disbelief and thinking I'm being too dramatic and whatever. And you're saying, like, no, not my child. My child won't become one of those people. But honestly, I mean, what are you doing to stop it? Sharing Facebook posts that proclaim Black Lives Matter won't actually teach your children that Black Lives Matter. It's insufficient. It only tells your children that racism and racists are bad. It's insufficient to simply explain, we love people of all colors. It's lazy and let alone damaging to our children to proclaim a love for all people, but never really make the leap of actually reaching out to people of color or adding tangible diversity into your life. I mean, in a world filled with empty rhetoric, all our children need to hear more than words from us. They need to see action to really believe what we say by doing what we say. They need to see us embody these beliefs that we claim to hold dear. And I'm not perfect. I am not perfect. I mean, my understanding of representation has had to evolve as well. I mean, I just recently, you know, realized I don't want my daughters to look back at their lives and feel what I'm feeling. I mean, I feel as though throughout my life I've been typecast that I've been a black person first, and then maybe a talented, complex human last. I've had to be that black friend, you know, bearing too much of the responsibility of perfection and representation and all the weight that carries. And realizing when you're the only minority in the room, in the room you, become, you become keenly aware, believe me, keenly aware of the responsibility that comes with it. Being singled out as the only person of color in a group and as a spokesman for my or one's entire community everywhere in the world, that's a microaggression. It puts the person in an uncomfortable position and it even fails to recognize that we're not all monolithic. I mean, we're being stifled by other people's narratives of who we must be and how we must act and what we're allowed to say and what we're allowed to do and what we're allowed to feel. Solely constructed from everyone's expectation of what it is being black, of what it is being a black woman or a black girl. I mean, it's taken me a while to realize that I really can't control the filters that people choose to see me through, that I can only just be me. And I know we're not all human. And we're prone to mistakes. I mean, a lot of white individuals think the concept of being racist is a moral judgment. I mean, a lot of people do, I guess, regardless if they're white or not. But they feel that if they acknowledge that they're racially biased, they're morally a bad person. And, I mean, that fear, that's, that's part of white fragility, the defensiveness 
many whites experience when their when their understanding of race is challenged by someone of color, even if that's a friend. And I think we have to acknowledge that we all discriminate. I mean, otherwise, it's going to be a really difficult conversation to have. And it's not that we're bad people if we commit a microaggression, but rather that we need to be more aware of our biases and their impact on the people around us. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Microaggressions play a traumatic part in everyday racism. They're subtle and insidious. I mean, we really should commit to working on these things in order to create a more harmonious and inclusive and equal society. In other words, I think we need to hear more. We need to understand more. And we, mean, and we need to make an attempt to do better next time. So, I think I should stop. I'm getting a bit emotional <laughs> because this is a really important topic to me. It's very close to my heart and close to home and I've been too quiet for far too long when I've com been confronted with microaggressions. And now I think I have my voice and I will speak up and I will confront them and I will let you know if I'm presented or confronted with a microaggression. But I want to leave you again with these words. We need to hear more. We need to listen more. We need to understand more. And we need to make an attempt to do better. We need to do better. Thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to. Have a nice Friday and a great weekend. Until next time, bye.